You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Photography is a journey in and of itself, from the thought of when you picked up your first camera to when you got your first paid project. Those certain points in life may have felt like your peak at that time. That is until, of course, the next big event comes along. As a photographer, the Creative Summit can never be completely reached, as it is a continual process of growth. As a team of designers who intend to promote creative freedom for storytellers everywhere, Polar Pro has recently engineered a brand new product into their flagship lineup. They are a company who specializes in everything filter-related and decided to bring their expertise into innovating a new landscape filter system, and it's called Summit. Summit provides a direct path to success in reaching your next peak as it aids in creating meticulous long exposures, time lapses, and sprawling landscape compositions. Summit is not only a tool to help you reach your next peak, but it also represents a symbol that you've made it there, as it is intended for use of professional landscape photographers. So the question is, what will your next peak be? Check out the Summit system at polarprofilters.com today and see for yourself. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and joining me today is Brent Bergherm. How are you, Brent? Hey, doing well. Good to be here. Excellent, excellent. Okay, we, we have to continue from last week's show. We had a ton of listener questions about holiday portraits. And, uh, and so we, we had some good tips, some general, like basic getting started tips last episode. And if you missed that, then, then go check that out. We'll put a link in the show notes to that previous episode. Um, but it's real easy to find too, just over at masterphotographypodcast.com. Uh, seven tips we shared about how it is that you can make your, your holiday portraits a success. And it was particular for your own family, but it, you know, it could, it could apply to uh, client shoots too. A lot of things that are there, but um, a lot of a lot of helpful tips, things that have worked for me as I have um, faced that challenge. Uh, we have we have just a ton of follow up though. There were lots of questions in the Facebook group about um, various things, and there were lots of questions. Not just one question, but we have like six categories of listener questions that we're going to run through in this show. And uh, I think it's going to be really fun to be able to go through that. Welcome to uh, comment on the Facebook group, Facebook group, easy for me to say, as well. So you can go over there and when we post this show episode um, in the group, you can comment there on maybe what other tips or suggestions that you have that have worked for you, especially client kinds of things. If, if you've got advice that you'd like to share in addition to what Brent and I talk about today, we'd love to hear from you. It's a, it's a really good forum a collaborative group where we welcome everyone's input and uh, we'd love to have you do that. All right, Brent, you ready to, to get going on these six categories? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. First one up. Um, it looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, six different people <laughs> had commentary or questions on this one category and it has to do with posing, which is a tough subject. Posing is uh, is really tough 
for photographers to do. I don't think I'm very good at it either, which is why I'm really glad my wife does <laughs> client shoots with me because she's much better at it. She has a, a decent like natural eye for how it is we should pose families. And, um, and she's continually learning too. like we, uh, as we have more and more experience with it, she's getting faster at it and, uh, and doing good with that. But let, let's go through the, through these questions. I want to read the questions. I'm going to try to say names. It's always dangerous when we try to pronounce names because we say, we had one Brent from a few weeks ago in an episode where, um, I think the name was Chris and I had assumed it was a male, and it was it wasn't. Chris was a, a female, and I felt Uh-oh. terrible. So they let me know. They were very kind about it. Like I, I mean, we know that's a it's a name that could go either way. So it's it's tough. But uh, yep, yeah, I'm actually a woman. And like, oh, okay, sorry about that. <laughs> but um, but I'll try to say the names. I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize in advance if I mess them up, and uh, we'll see how we go. Okay. So first, here's I'm going to just run through. Uh, let's, let's see, let's run through the questions one at a time and kind of comment on each one and uh, we'll do that. So the first one is Scott Jeffcoat. He says, what tips do you have for dealing with small kids that don't want to be part of the shoot and won't smile? Brent, have you had any kids of your own even that have been in this situation? Yeah, maybe I could say this is probably why I only shoot my kids in this Uh (laughs) situation, but um, that can be very tough. And uh, for me, I I try to balance between, well, we have to produce, we have to get something, quote, good, right? And being patient and kind of working with the child and trying to bring them around. But there's just some times where the children – just won't cooperate and that can get really frustrating both for the photographer and for the parents because the parents have paid good money for this so what can we do to make sure that that doesn't happen well one of the things that has tended to work for me is to distract the child with something and it's all about engaging them in in some way And I like to be able to have at least a little something available so they can get distracted and they can get their mind on something that they do like. So it also has to do with preparation. So I would, you know, start at the beginning with the planning of the session and ask mom or dad to bring something that the child really likes. Maybe it's a special toy, a special whatever it is, bring something. If we can use it or if we have to use it as a prop, then we will. But you know, depending on what the goals of that, you know, that they have for the child in their photograph too. And then, you know, like Levi said in that episode, two episodes ago, being a little goofy can go a long way. So that can really help with the small kids too. having something that's a little goofy and sets them off and gets them back on the right track, I should say, to uh, hopefully cooperating with the shoot. But it also depends if it's a is this a solo shoot with the child or is this a group shoot? You know, my tactic might change slightly because we, if they have someone in the frame with them, that can either be bad or good too, just depending on what mood they're in. So it might change slightly depending on if it's a solo or if it's a, you know, a sibling shoot kind of a thing. Yeah. There's certainly not one universal answer here because all the kids are different. The reasons that they don't want to participate are different. Um, some can be just like they are so horribly shy being sure. being around someone they don't know they just uh you know 
they stop, <laughs> they, they clamp down and, and they don't want to do anything. Uh, I have a niece who is that way. She is so shy and we're certainly not strangers. I see her very regularly. It's like almost once a week. And yet yeah. every time I see her, she's hiding her face and hugging mom's leg. And she's just so painfully shy that, uh, that that's a real struggle. And we've done a lot of shoots with, with my niece too. My sister, she brings them over and, and we do shoots all the time. So warming her up, it takes some time. We just know we have to in that, in that specific situation. We know it's going to take like a half hour. She needs to come over and she needs to play with toys for a little bit. She needs to loosen up and, and be okay with being in our house and in a, a place where she's not every day and, right. uh, and, and get it going. So planning ahead of time is, is really, really important. Uh, I know Eric has talked about this so, so much, not only with kids, but everyone just getting expectations set, understanding what the client wants, understanding their kids and what's going to make them be there and helping mom and dad too with the shoot to, to prepare them. be like, And this could be part of the discussion. It's like a good checklist item. If you, if you want to produce a checklist of stuff to talk about in those pre-meetings uh, so that you can go through like, okay, well, what, what is, are all of your children usually willing and, and, and are they pretty good at this? Not that they have to be perfect or like excited to take a photo, but um, to know ahead of time, if they're going to be a challenge and talk them through things like, Okay, well, maybe uh, not trying to have everyone be in super formal clothes that they hate <laughs> right. um, could help. And, and, you know, have that at least be something in mom's head for and setting an expectation. Like if you if the smile is the thing you want the most, maybe it's not as important to make sure that you're all dressed up in formal clothing. Um, or a treat, is there a treat they respond to? Could we have that? And maybe don't make sure you don't give it to them just before they come or anything. And, and it's going to be a reward for, for taking a, a really good photo and, and smiling and, or even like pulling it out and surprising them. Be like, look what I have. If, if you'll just smile really quick for me, uh, I'll give you the, I'll be able to, you can have some of this and whatever it is, stuff like that. Just Knowing who they are, what they want, and how they're it's going to make it work can be a really important thing. And then, yeah, that slapstick comedy never fails with, with yeah, small kids. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard for me. That is that does not come naturally at all to me. That's uh, especially because I'm, and this is why my wife and I make such a good team with this because. I'm all about the technical stuff as everyone. I'm sure that's not really hard for anyone to imagine. I like the, <laughs> the setup of the lights, the setup of the camera and getting the right, uh, getting it, making it look the very best it can. And I'm really focused and thinking through that. And so then my wife can take on the posing and getting kids to look and smile and feel comfortable. And, and, uh, that it's, it works out really, really well for us. Those, uh, photographers who do this just by themselves, I, I feel for you. And, uh, and that's a little, it's a little tougher job than what I face all the time. So it, it's good. I it, I don't think there's a single answer for that question. And I think it takes some experience. The, the people who figure out how to work with people and their kids and get practice with it are the ones that really do well with portrait photography. And that, that usually makes a client for life too. Like if, if you can have a really good experience with a, a client and their family, they're going to come back year after year after year. Um, mom usually wants photos every year and they're going to be back if you have a good experience and you, you get their kids. So it's so worth the time investment to make that work if you can. Absolutely. 
All right. The next question follows along. This is in the same uh, kind of uh, category, the same type of question. This is Josh Austin. Uh, how to deal with parents who know their kid was a turd <laughs> for the whole shoot, <laughs> but they still complain when they're not posed well in the final images, or they complain that they didn't get as many final images as they wanted. Do you send images that are not great just because they are all you have? It says, I love kids, but man, do I hate taking photos of them. <laughs> Sounds like Josh has some experience and, and it can be tough. Yeah. That can be a really rough situation. So what do you think, Brent? Well, this certainly comes back to the the whole idea you just talked, you know, about whether it's a checklist and just doing what you can to do your homework beforehand, and that can hopefully help with expectations for the parents. But let's face it, it can still all go down. Oh, for sure. You know, <laughs> I want to use the analogy, it all goes down the toilet, but that's, I guess, whatever. Um, <laughs> so it... Do and the other question here: Do you send images that are not great just because you, uh, you know, they're all you have? I guess in some respects, I would really feel tempted to do that. However, there's still something about, you know, they're going to be showing these around, and if they're not an image that I'm absolutely proud of, and I would want them to share, that's it. it would be tough for me to actually send that out to them then, because it's just like. Uh, you know, I would probably almost rather do an, a, a free makeup shoot, even though that would cause you to lose money, but or maybe even a discount shoot, because in this case, the parents know the kid was not behaving. And and so maybe a discounted reshoot might be in order, too. But maybe there's some Photoshop magic you can do to to do some stuff. But, yeah, it would be tough for me, I think, to send those images that are not great just because they're all I have. And I would hopefully be able to talk the parents into saying, you know, these are the best ones. The other ones just aren't good. And, you know, and then they're going to be like, well, let me at least see them. And uh, yeah, that, that could be a touchy situation too. I don't know. What do you say? Yeah. Uh, so my philosophy on this is one that I know a lot of portrait photographers completely disagree with. There's, there's a lot I've heard from a lot of photographers who say there's no way they would deal with this the way that I am. Uh, but it, it's what fits me, my personality and, and how I like to, um, set things, set up expectations ahead of time. I have my clients help me cull the photos and I know that's like blasphemy for a lot of photographers because they feel like it's their brand. It's their business. They are being hired for a job here and they feel like it's, it's an expectation the client has that the photographer is going to give them, deliver to them the very best of the images as that's part of the service they offer for me with, and, and maybe it's, it's just something I make clear right up front too. Cause not every client wants to be, wants to go through their images and pick out the ones that they like the best. But, um, I, I feel like they're a better judge of this than I am. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that photo to photo to photo, the technical aspects are taken care of. And I'm not going to have like, well, this one's totally underexposed or this one's so overexposed it won't work. And certainly I'll have some of those as I'm I'm getting my uh, exposure in as I'm playing around with lights or whatever the, the scene is and, and, uh, and working on it. But I'm going to make sure that the technical reasons, there shouldn't be very many to throw away most of the images. At this point, I've got enough experience that I, I feel confident about that. But there may be reasons like, 
yeah, that file, that smile on, on my kid there is just totally fake. And I, I hate that. It, it doesn't look like them. It's not what I was hoping for. And I wouldn't know that necessarily. Sometimes it's obvious and you can tell, but not always. And so I, what I do is I, I absolutely eliminate those test shots, those exposure setup test shots where I'm trying things out, you know, moving lights around or whatever it is getting ready. But once I have that zeroed in, um, and as long as their eyes are open and I, I know they're not making like a really obviously weird face, I, I give every one of those possible images to the client in small sizes and I let them go through them and tell me which ones they like the best. And then, um, you know, I haven't really had a shoot where the client came back and said, there's not a single one of these I like. And, um, I think in that situation, if they did, I would, I would absolutely offer like, well, let's do it again. Then let's, let's try to get this to go again and, and see if we can make that happen. Um, for me, because this isn't my business, my sole source of income, it's not a big deal just for me to, other than, you know, I have to spend some time on it to try to reshoot. Um, most of the time though, I I don't think the clients want to do it either. Like, Oh, that was such a thing to to even get our family together to go shoot (laughs) that, uh, they're, they don't, they're not real excited about a reshoot either. So, uh, yeah. And and I, I would in the moment, um, I, I had another checklist item. I think if mom and dad don't feel like they're happy about this, um, it's, it's good to just like have the discussion right there. Like, okay, so this isn't really working how you'd want, uh, do you want to try to reschedule something or do you want to keep trying? And is there something we can do? Could we take a break for a little bit and have them play around for a little bit and, and try to, you know, shrug off this whole experience and see if we can regroup and come back or, you know, it's, it's a fluid situation to try to figure out what to do. It's not easy. Again, not a single answer here. I don't think on how to make that happen. And it can be totally tough. I, I guess I have had, um, a shoot where kids just totally shut down and didn't, didn't want to do it. And mom and dad, um, just didn't want to come back either. So there was a deposit they, they gave and, but, but we just kind of, you know, walked away from the whole thing <laughs> Wow! and, you know, they took some of the images. They just, they, they knew they weren't going to be super happy with them and they understood and they, they didn't blame me. It was sure. like, no, the, the kid just didn't want to cooperate. Uh, so I guess I have had that, that one time out of all the years that I've done this. So it, I don't think it's, hopefully it's not something that's faced that common, but it does take some patience for sure. And, and working and you might have to go longer. Like, you know, you planned an hour for this shoot and it might take an hour and a half or two hours trying to get the kid to warm up and, uh, and, and participate at least enough for one shot. So, you know, I actually like your your approach there of putting the responsibility on them to choose their finals. There's actually a. You know, it just depends on what your your goals are for your business, but I think there's there's some wisdom there because as you're talking about that, I'm like, you know, that's really good because it does put the onus on them. Yeah, because they're going to remember everything about that shoot and there's no chance that they're going to be left wondering, well, there's got to be more. There's got to be, you know, <laughs> right? something like that. And if you're giving them the opportunity to doubt you, you know, that in, in that sense, hopefully you can have enough you know, confidence or they have enough confidence in you that they don't doubt you that these are the best you're showing them. But to just show them everything and let them choose. I've, I've heard of others doing that, too. And, and, you know, with our image delivery systems, whether it's Smug Mug or any of these others, 
you know, there's there's quite a bit of opportunity to make that super convenient for people too. Absolutely, yeah. It, make, it makes it really easy. I use Enfolio for it, and there's a, a very good cooling service feature there that uh, that works really well. They love it. I, like I said, you know, my clients know upfront that's how I do it. So maybe I because they're expecting it. I, I've never had anyone say, "Nah, I, I don't really want to pick. You just pick." They've always done it, and they've always like picked stuff there's no way i would have <laughs> they've yeah. always picked up sometimes they pick some um just because and i, I tell them to like you can have the full resolution of any of the I, like unedited this is just you know how it came out out of camera and if you want to have it as, as is then you can have it and sometimes they're like yeah i want this one just because that's like their personality it's it's not one that i'll print and hang on the wall but that's you captured them in that moment. It might be the kid totally pouting, you know, cause that's what they sure. do. And, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I just, I need that one because that, I, that is so them. And I want to have that memory of them being a, a, a turd during, <laughs> during the shoot. <laughs> it's really kind of funny after the fact. Um, so uh, yeah, that's my approach. I know there's tons who completely disagree with this, but that is how I like to do it. And my clients seem to really like it too. All right, next question. Or yeah, next question. There was Stephanie Adams. Boy, we got to pick up the pace here. We're, we're yeah. taking too long. Uh, it says, "I love pictures when everyone's looking natural, not looking at the camera. How do you stage this?" And um, boy, this is this is easier either if you're not using flash, or you are using studio strobes where you can you know take pictures whenever. I love it too. I love when we can capture people that don't feel like they are posing in front of the camera. That is a really nice thing. And, and when we first started getting going with client portraits, um, you know, we, we talked about being natural light photographers, mostly because I didn't know how to use flash. And so, so, and I didn't want to spend the money on it uh, initially. So, um, so that was what we, that was part of our, our selling point was, yeah, we'll, we'll take candids. We can take them, you know, on the slide cause there's no flash. It's all just natural light and we'll be able to take candids of everybody and, and we'll get some really natural looking shots. And then my wife could be a second shooter and she got candids. Like I was setting up for the, the more traditional posed formal kind of setup and, and getting everyone to look at me and, and that whole thing. And she was just firing away on the sides and, and getting candids along the way. And we had some really fun photos come out of that too. And it wasn't, it was uh, it was really nice stuff, but boy, the flash improves things so much that we've added that. So we still kind of do that sometimes, especially if we're outdoors, then we'll have, uh, I will have the flash and I'll be setting up the big group stuff, but my wife will, you will have a second body and she'll just take pictures along the way of the, there's a lot of times where in between getting shots going, the kids are like doing funny things and, and looking at each other. And so she'll take some pictures. So I know it's not a great solution for those photographers who are doing this on their own. You can't have a second shooter <laughs> there, yeah. um, to, to do this. Uh, and, and if you are doing kind of the formal setup, it's tough to try to, to make that happen. Um, I, so it's, it's another possible topic you can have with clients as you're talking about things and what they're expecting. If they want to get something like that, um, trying to put them in the group in a situation where they're doing that is, is something to do. Like ask, uh, if, if there's mom and dad there, especially if there's uh, older people that are going to be in the photos, like you have grandma and grandpa with you, perhaps say like, Hey, grandma, grandpa, will you tell everyone like how you met? 
and then just have people looking at them while they're telling the story and snap photos while they're doing something like that. It doesn't have to be exactly that thing, but trying to get the group to relax and be themselves doing something that is not just staring like in the camera because that will never produce the, right. those natural looking kinds of shots. Uh, so it, that is a tough, tough topic, Stephanie. I know I probably didn't provide you a lot of help there. But thinking through it and, and talking about it with clients, if that's something they really want to go through, like if if it's uh, they want natural shots of their kids, well, then have them bring their favorite toys with them and just take pictures of them playing with their toys. Like don't have don't do the whole look at the camera and smile kind of thing. Just get out the toys. And that could be that break in between, too, if the kids aren't super good at taking the photos and and aren't excited about this break out the toys, have them play for, for 15 or 20 minutes and, and take photos while you do it. And uh, mom and dad end up loving those, those portraits a lot. It's really worth doing that and give them a break. And then you have a better chance of getting the more formal ones after that anyway. And I want to focus in on what you said about having grandma and grandpa tell the story about how they met. Because when I see this question come in, the two things that go into my mind are either activity, and you mentioned that with like the toys or something like that, or an event. And so them even telling a story like that is an event and it takes them out. It takes the people purposefully out of the mode of paying attention to you. And it pays, it focuses that attention to someone else. They're paying it to someone else. And if you can come up with some kind of scenario like that, that disengages that interactivity between you and them and focuses all the interactivity between themselves only, then go with that. Now I've also had the situation where I'm shooting an event or shooting people at an event or what have you. And I literally will have to tell them, you must not pay attention to me. And then I'll spend the first five minutes being the super annoying photographer, getting in their face and practicing with them. Ah, uh, you, 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 you notice me, you know, it's just like, you're not supposed to pay attention. To me. And then I back off and then it's like, I'm gone. And then I'm able to get the pictures of the people as they're going throughout their event, they're doing their thing. So it's just different. Are we talking post pictures or event pictures, you know? So we, we have two different scenarios going on here, but when we, when we do that, Hopefully that will allow them to ultimately, at least for a little while, totally forget about you. And they're just engaged with the people that they're involved in. You can get your shots. Right. Okay. I think uh, we're, I'm just, I want to skip a couple of these questions because we got to get to the other, the other categories. So I yes. do want to mention um, Barbara Butler Conrad, Dick Conard, Conard. Um, mentioned a reference that Levi had talked about a couple of episodes back. And I just want to share that again for some help that people can have. Um, I have not seen this myself, so I want to say that up front. I, I don't know the quality of the information, but I trust Levi. Levi threw this out there as uh, a really, really good resource for learning how to do posing. If you're struggling with that, you're having a hard time figuring out how to get groups posed together. And yes, that is one of your jobs. If you're going to do, especially a big family portrait shoot, like during the holiday season, tend to be large groups, then knowing how to put them together is something that they're expecting the photographer to do. They don't know how to do this. They don't know how to pose, especially the men. We are totally stupid with this. We don't know where to put our hands, how to put our feet. We we don't, we need to be completely set up so that we don't look like we're awkward. (laughs) Um, And so, so yes, you absolutely have to do that. And that's why I said, I'm I'm really glad to have my wife take care of this because I'm not good at it at all. Um, Some resources then to, to help with that 
and get better at it. I mean, I think it comes with experience too, but boy, those first few shoots can be really bad if you don't have the experience yet. So I get that you might need some sort of reference or resource to go to to give you a start on this how to and and then be able to go into that shoot with some confidence like okay i think i know what to do to try to make this look good and so um the resource i'm going to point you to is uh the one that levi recommended again i haven't reviewed this myself so i hope that it's a good resource but i'm, I'm trusting levi because levi is awesome <laughs> so uh so i'm going to trust him with this it's from michelle Celentano. She's a Canon Explorer of Light, and she has a video training course on this. And if you just go to familyposing.com, you'll find that resource. I looked at it just as before we started recording. I think it's on sale, and I think it's normally $100 for... Uh, like yeah, a hundred hours worth of video or something. Wow. Um, going through this and it's on sale for sixty nine dollars as I record this. I don't know how long the sales up, but um, Levi mentioned that it seems like a really good resource. And if you're in, getting into and want to learn how to post people and you need to gain that confidence as you're doing shoots, uh, it looks like it might be a really solid resource to go and check out. So familyposing.com will redirect you to where it is that, that you end up at the portraitmasters.com slash product slash family posing, but that's much harder for everyone to remember. So familyposing.com. All right, let's go to category number two here. Um, I, I think this was a little bit lighthearted in the, in the Facebook group and kind of a, almost a joke, but I think actually like kind of serious. And that yep. uh, D- David Richard Lettingham, really good contributor in the Facebook group. I'm, I'm so glad David's there and, and participating in our community. Um, he, he posts all the time. So thank you, David, for doing that. He said, I would also like to address how to politely bail <laughs> out of doing it, the meaning the holiday portraits. I love taking pictures. I hate it when there's family gatherings and someone inevitably says, Hey, Dave, can you bring your camera? <laughs> he says, uh, usually with these events, my, these holiday parties, I just want my batteries to be charged like, you know, himself. He, he just wants a break from doing the photography and enjoy being with the family and the, the holiday event. And I totally get that. <laughs> what, what do you think, Brent? How, how do you would you deal with this? I, I took that to mean his camera batteries were dead and that was his excuse. <laughs> To not do it. Ah, shoot. <laughs> My yeah, batteries are dead. I forgot it. But anyway, oh. shucks. Yeah. So I I find, I have found, I should say, that really just saying this once, only be uncomfortable once because that's usually all it takes. And I used to have that expectation too, especially as uh, when I was a lot younger and I didn't have kids and I would go over and uh, for some reason – whichever relative take your pick oh you know can you, can you grab a shot of this grab a shot of that and just like you know i i like a day off too you know <laughs> right. and really just literally just doing it once um is all it took and now there's just like when i do bring the camera out it's almost a surprise and it's kind of like well yeah i remember i'm still a photographer i still occasionally like to do this um so i think it can be uncomfortable for sure but for my experience anyway it it hasn't had to be this long drawn out kind of thing it's just like um well actually i had this happen at church too they they're all like oh you're a photographer you could photograph this this and this and this and this for us and it was like no i'm not going to be able to do that and kind of explain why and it's just like um you know on occasion i told them i would but um you know when i when i 
go do that. I want to be doing that. I don't want to be shooting my pictures and, and, you know, when I'm on kind of a thing. So uh, usually it's just being upfront and being simple and honest. And that usually does the trick. Yep. Yeah. Being upfront about it, be like, you know, I, I just need a break too. I do this a lot and I need a break. It, being upfront and honest. Yeah. They're, they're going to be good. Grandma might get really persuasive though. I, <laughs> you might have something like, especially <laughs> if, true. if it's a big gathering, like we talked about last, last episode, if it's like a, uh, this these, this group of people is only together every 20 years. Could we please get a photo? I mean, that would definitely, if, if I was, I'm, I always like doing, it. I have fun with it. So, um, so I, I don't turn it. I'm like, Oh well, yeah, for sure. I'll bring it. That'd be fun. And yeah, uh, if it's a special event type thing like that, it would be like my honor to photograph those people who have not been together for 20 years. Yeah. Even if they were definitely my, my own family. Cause that's what this is about. He's going to his own family event. And then the expectation is, Oh, you, you should bring your camera along, Dave. And if this were the kind of thing, and I knew that was the case, the scenario, I would probably just expect to, I would want to do this anyway, if it were that kind of situation. But if it's a more common and we've gotten together three times this year already, sure, it's like, sure. we don't, we don't need pictures of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At but, least not, not the formals. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a little tricky, but being honest is definitely the best, the best thing to be like, you know, <laughs> I just want to relax with you guys. I don't want to, I don't want to do the pictures. And, uh, then the only thing that would really change if that was how I felt, which I, I usually don't. So that's, that's tough for me to say, but the only thing that would take me out of it then would be like, if, if, you know, someone else in the group got out the camera and was going to take photos, then I'd be like, Oh no, I don't, <laughs> I want to do it. I want to do it. <laughs> I would have, I'd have a hard time letting that go. Oh, anyway, yeah. M- Michelle Lay adds to this. She says, exactly. How do you, would you do that? Or family friends who ask for a shoot and then they want the raw files to edit themselves, which, um, I haven't had this because there's not any photographers in my family, either side of my family that, uh, that do this much. They, all of them, almost all of them have not only their smartphones, of course, but they're, they have actual cameras, but none of them are into it as much as me. So they, they all are very happy to defer to me and let me do, do all of it. So I've not run into this where someone has said, can I get the raw files? What would you do, Brent? Have you been, have you ever been asked for raw files? No. Uh, but I think if the family member were to ask for the raw files, I probably wouldn't mind so much if it were a friend it depends on the relationship of the friend because i have some close friends that i would feel more comfortable doing that and i've got some acquaintances where i'd be like you know yeah that's not no i would i would want to draw the line there somewhere and that can definitely be a a slippery slope of then the the friends talk and like well you gave those you gave them (laughs) the raws you didn't give me the raws so you definitely want to come up with something for yourself but for family i don't think i would have a problem with it yeah, I, I guess if someone had asked me, like, well, yeah, I mean, first I'd be like, do you even know how to use the ROS? <laughs> right. <laughs> you got to actually have some software to deal with it. It's not like you yep. can just, you know, have it work. And, and uh, yeah, if they knew it. And then, I, you know, there's, there's the situation where sometimes you may have a client. Like, you may have a professional photographer who's looking to have their family photo taken and they want a photographer to do it. And I could see where they might say, I'd love to have the raw file so I can do the editing myself. And right. um, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, I think I'd probably still, I mean, it might make me nervous. <laughs> it might make me like, okay, I don't know if they'll they'll like the photos that I produce, that I create compared to with what they can do. Um, 
or not. It might make me nervous, but I, as long as I knew going in and we set the, you know, if they're willing to pay the same price and I don't have to do the editing for them, then okay. I, I think I could, as long as I knew up front, I might be willing to do that too. But boy, that's just something every photographer is going to have to <laughs> have to understand for themselves. We, I saw some other comments on this question, like I'll never give my raws. And yeah. If that's how you feel about it. Then don't that's, yeah. that's just fine. If, if that's not something you want to, to give out. And, and um, to me though, that it almost shows that insecurity of, of your photo, that you're like your skills um, because you might be worried about the technical makeup of your photos and how good are they. And I don't want anyone to see the unedited version of my photos. And, um, and not that that's going to be the case for everybody. You might just not want to give away those pixels like this. I'm being paid to do this. I want to produce the whole product and I don't want you to have the, the stuff that's the unfinished product. And if that's how you feel about it, that's fine. Just, you know, being true to yourself and understanding what you want to do about it. Um, I just, I, I can't imagine this is all that popular thing, but it, there were enough people in the group that were like, oh yeah, I, exactly. Then I was like, hmm, I've never had yeah. anyone ask for the Ross, but okay. <laughs> yep. All right. So those are our first couple of questions. We're going to have three more topics here, or I guess it's four, four more categories if we have time. We'll see. We're, we're losing a lot of time here. It's going really fast. But we're going to thank a sponsor of this episode, uh, Acuity. So we're going to hear from Connor about Acuity. Hey there, guys. It's your buddy, Connor. I know it has been quite a while since I've been on the show, but that's because I have been ridiculously, ridiculously busy as of recent. And one thing that I've been using to kind of help me out in my scheduling my day-to-day life is a system that I want to tell you guys about. So meet the scheduling assistant that works 24-7 behind the scenes to fill your calendar. From the moment clients book with you, Acuity is there to automatically send confirmations, deliver text reminders, and process payments. So you never have to ask your clients what time works for you again because with acuity clients can quickly view in real time your availability self book their own appointments and reschedule with a click then acuity will automatically update the calendars that you have whether that be google outlook icloud or office 365 to keep your entire life in sync so all you need to do is show up at your studio or location at the right time so acuity even asks the clients to fill out an intake form, which is customizable for you to put in the information that you need to be able to best serve them. And they don't do that all automatically. With the ability to manage multiple locations and employees, class bookings, private sessions, add-on sales, and recurring subscriptions, Acuity can adapt to any business. So you can save yourself from the day-to-day drudgery of keeping up with clients in your busy schedule with Acuity Scheduling. For a limited time, you can get 45 days of Acuity Scheduling absolutely free. No credit card required. Just go to acuityscheduling.com slash MPP. That's A-C-U-I-T-Y scheduling.com slash MPP for 45 days free. Let me tell you guys, I really do use this in my day-to-day life, and it has saved me so much time. It's a service that I highly recommend to anybody that is looking to automate their system and just send clients to you whenever they land on your website. It's a fantastic piece, and there's a reason that I'm the one that's here doing this advertisement because I have real hands-on experience, and it really is something that I stand by. So one more time, I'm going to say that's acuityscheduling.com slash MPP for a 45-day free trial. Okay, topic number three here. 
And there's a ton of these. Maybe I'm going to group a few of these together and just read through a bunch of the questions because a lot of them are kind of similar. has to do with studio and lighting. In the U.S. right now, it's pretty cold outside. Uh, here in Utah, I have about a foot of snow on my front yard. Mm, and nice. uh, yeah, so that, that can make it really hard to go outside. People's faces turn red really fast and uh, kids don't want to be in the cold or if the snow's around, they want to go play in the snow. So it, it can make a really tough environment for, for being outside. So a lot of these questions have to do with like, well, what can we do, especially if we don't have a studio per se, we don't have a dedicated space for photography with all of the equipment you need to have that work. How do you make this happen? So let's read through a few of these questions here. Nelson Tapia says, if the client's home is not an option and you don't have a studio, how do you find indoor locations to shoot in? I've seen this come up quite a bit as the weather gets cold. I know every city would be different, but perhaps there's a good general strategy. Uh, what do you think, Brent? Location-wise, what, what, what could be like general advice for how people could find a location if they don't have one? Wow, yeah, that is... A big question. <laughs> For some reason, I'm drawing – initially, I'm drawing a blank. But if you're, let's say, a member of like the local chamber of commerce, I guess you could always go ask them or maybe just ask them anyway. They might have ideas to uh, to some locations that might not be uh, as problematic for doing that. Um, I might think too – it to ask maybe – like I, we have a, a fairly large hotel here in, in town and pretty swanky place and they have a gorgeous lobby and if you were to somehow get in you know with permission like that to use that location you know it's obviously private property and you don't want to just go start setting up and then everyone's like what are you doing here you want to arrange it beforehand but a place like that could be a really sweet venue and they might want a small payment or they might want you to sign some kind of release form about if you trip over a cord you're not going to sue them that kind right. of a thing but I would start looking at those types of venues and then if there's any – I wanted to start to say if there's any educational institution, especially like a public institution, but they might even have problems with it because you just have this whole idea of doing a commercial shoot on public property kind of a thing. So that's probably a bad idea. I don't know. There, do you have any ideas on this? Well, I was going to say just that, yeah. They, uh, um, community colleges, uh, yeah. you know, they, they tend to be strapped for cash enough that they – they rent out their spaces regularly anyway. So, Oh yeah, that's just true. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of didn't think along those lines um, of going with a full on room and renting it, but absolutely they, they usually have rooms to rent. Sure. And the hotels, that's a, a place to check. And, and of course, Oh, you know, the cost for this, you need to roll that into the, the cost of the shoot. If you're normally an outdoor pot- photographer and you don't have to pay for the venue. Um, now you're just going to need to do the research ahead of time and figure out, where the venue can be like, you know, you got to figure out the group size so you can find the right venue and how much is it going to be? And just, you know, they're going to have to know this is, this is a part of the cost of this. And, uh, you know, if, if it's too much, then you're not going to do the shoot because it's too much and you're not going to take waste money on this. So, um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta find a place. Uh, the, so the community college, uh, you know, there's church buildings everywhere. There's lots of those. So even if you're not a member of that church, you can, you know, certainly ask about taking photos in there and, and, uh, churches that, you know, either open it up for free to you or they may charge, they may have some, some standard fee that they'll charge and you can get in there and, and use their building. Cause they usually have bigger gathering areas. Uh, I've even seen, and I've done a few shoots where, uh, I mean, we had the connection within the, the client who was there, but they, there, there's some neighborhoods 
that have, you know, some sort of little venue that's owned by the neighborhood that is kind of a, a lodge kind of feel or something like that. And, and they can get in there and, and they'll let the people who live in that neighborhood go in there for a little bit. And so I've done that. I've shot, I've shot some groups inside some of those, um, f- putting feelers out. Like if there's something, you know, asking the clients, is there a venue? Is there a place that you know of where, where we could take the photos? It's even better if it's meaningful to them, if it's a place that they know. Yeah, sure. Then, then, you know, asking for ideas from them is not, not bad. Certainly getting involved in your local community groups too. If there's a Facebook group for your area, there's photographers. I mean, I've seen, I'm a member of several Facebook group, uh, for my area. And so I see common, like a huge ideas, or I'll see people post photos that they took in a certain venue and I'll note that down and be like, Oh, that's a good place. I, I like that. That's a, a nice building to go do this in. And obviously they were able to do it. So there's probably some way to figure out how to get in there and, and figure out what the costs might be involved and things like that. So certainly could take some, some effort, some research. And once you do it for a little while, you kind of get your go-to places. I have those. I have my go-to places of things I know I can make work things that, um, that are, that make nice backgrounds have like good furniture for the people to sit on to, or if I need to bring stools with me or whatever it might be so that it'll get set up. So yeah, you, you absolutely have to plan a little ahead of time. You don't want to meet a client and be like, all right, so where should we go to take photos? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's not going to work. You got to do this ahead of time and, and make that happen. Uh, all right. Dan lemon says, Ideas for shooting holiday themed sessions when you don't have backdrops or a really great holiday location or props. Kevin Malik added to that said, I second this. I'm lucky to have tons of space, but not everyone has backdrop space and it's really cold and wet outside. So a lot of people aren't up for outdoor portraits. And then um, I'm just going to add, let's see, we'll do two more because it's all along the same lines here reading these questions. Declan Flynn, any tips for using those printed photo backdrops, those 10 by 10 photo backdrops of a Christmas scene that the kids and the family sit in front of? Some photographers use them and they look great. Others make them look really, really fake. And then Jules Dupree, how do you get proper lighting on the people and be able to have the nice Christmas glow vibe? And Nanato Nani Ramirez, indoor family room picture ideas with the tree and how to light it successfully. All right. So let's let's kind of go from the top there. Um, backdrops. So Brent, what what do you think about getting a nice holiday feeling kind of backdrop in a photo? Yeah, especially when you don't have backdrops or really great holiday location right. or props, that is really a challenge because if you don't even have a prop, because I guess you could come to say, you know, it's about the clothing that the people are wearing. <laughs> right, right. That's that's about all we're we're boiling this down to is just the clothing and probably if it's a couple or a family, we're thinking of the connection that the family has too. So trying to get them smiling at each other or, you know, being comfortable standing close to each other, that kind of a thing, maybe gazing into each other's eyes lovingly, <laughs> right. that kind of a thing can help with that. But I would think of some type of way to bring in either some kind of color in the lighting maybe an accent light can help if there's any chance that we have that because i don't see that as a restriction here as far as lighting sure so 
maybe some kind of a color pop in the light. Uh, if you were, this might be the case where you have two flashes going. One is your main light and the other is what we call a kicker light. It's off to the side and it's just like lighting the rim or something like that of the people's heads, shoulders, that kind of a thing. And if you were to put a color on that light, a color gel as we call it, maybe that's going to give you the the little extra look that you want to go for. And that might add, as far as Jules was asking, the the Christmas glow vibe, that color infusion can maybe give you some kind of a, a special thing there. That's that's about all I got, though. Yeah. Okay, so here's my thoughts. There's, there's a ton I think you can do with this. Um, Christmas in particular... For for most people, they have good props <laughs> for Christmas. Yeah, right. That's what threw me off. <laughs> most everyone has the the Christmas tree and the stockings, and they they have invested in holiday decorations. And if that's what they want, that that's why their home may be a super super good option. Now, the size of it could become a challenge. You might have like the these holiday decorations are are so much part of the room that it like takes up the room <laughs> and you you have very little space to put in lights or try to get a group of people to pose in there. And um, so my solution to that would be composite. So, um, yeah. but, you know, taking a picture of that room and get it lit just dreamy. And it's like you'll have total options then to be able to do that. Make sure that the like the you almost go natural light. You might not even need flash to be incorporated because we love the feel during Christmas time of the Christmas tree lights being like the primary source of light. Or if there's a fireplace, mm-hmm. having the fire lit and have that and the Christmas tree lights being the primary source of light. And then you put the camera on a tripod so you don't have to worry about you can go to really slow shutter speeds and get a beautiful exposure of that room and then take a picture, a separate picture of the family. Um, if, if it's not there, another location, whatever it needs to be, and then composite them together so that they look like they were in that room um, can be just a beautiful, beautiful image. And now that's, that takes some work. You got to know how to do a composite and investing in yourself and training and skills to know how to do that is important. Another idea would be um, like you talked about with the, the coloring in the lights. It'll make it feel like a holiday photo if you use non-standard colors in the lights. If you have a red and green background, that's, you know, we all jump to Christmas being red and green. And so if you could gel some flashes and use them in the background, so it produces a red and green background, and then you have the family, you know, they could be wearing sweaters, so it feels like it's the cold stuff or whatever, and and theme it that way, um, that that works really, really well. And one very, one big piece of advice I'll give you if you want to try to get those colors to be stronger, well, two bits. Uh, the first is that color is going to spill off on them significantly if they're too close to that background. If you're lighting a background with the lights, you got to have them at least three feet away or, or more so that they don't, you don't have a ton of it. You're going to have some and you want some to, so that it, it looks like they are in the scene. They, they need to have those highlights around the edges, like their hair and shoulders to have that green and red tint to it so that they look like they were in the photo. 
but you don't want it so much that it's reflecting off of their cheeks and around all the way around their yeah. face and they look like they are green on one side and red on the other <laughs> as, as they're taking the photo. So they, they need to be a little bit of, away from that backdrop. Plus that helps with shadows. Um, the other big piece of advice that it took me forever to learn, and I don't know why it wasn't offered way earlier, is light gray as a background is the best one to use if you want to use gels and flashes. White is not good. White makes it too bright, and it does. You don't get a deep color, and of course, black doesn't reflect the color, so you don't. But a light gray um, that is going to make the, those colors really, really pop and show up really well. So if you want colors, you want to use gels on your flashes, and you really want to light up a background, light gray is what you want to use. Um, so, so those are some some easy things. Now let's talk about the ten by ten Christmas scene. Yeah. Let's talk about that real quick here. Um, I don't, I've never used one, um, so I, I can't speak from experience here, but with the experience I do, I have a ton of experience doing composites and I try to get that background as to, to just disappear, really. I, I don't want the background to show up and make it so that extracting the person out of the image so I can put them on whatever background I want. Um, I've, I've worked really hard at that and learned a lot about what to do there. So, um, the, there's a couple of things that would really give it away. You don't want it to look fake. Like, like, uh, Declan was, was saying, how do you do that? So it doesn't look fake. And, um, so that there's two things that would, that make it look fake. The first one would be having that background be too much in focus <laughs> because yep. it's going to look fake. It, it is fake. So that background's not going to have depth to it. It's going to, you're going to maybe see the fabric or the material that the background's made up of if it's too sharp. So getting that background to, in too sharp a focus is going to give it away and make it look fake. It needs to be blurred out a little bit at least. Just uh, it, So you have to make sure that you can get that background blurred, which means you've really got to have some distance between you and the subject. 10 by 10 is a really common size for those backdrops. If you have more than like three people, that's going to be a struggle. That's not, it's yep. going to be really tough because you got to get them far enough away. And if they're standing, like if you, if they want a full body shot or even uh, um, waist up on the people, that's, it's going to get tough at 10 by 10 with a, a more than three or four people. So that, that, that's another thing to consider. You got to get them far enough away. And if you're going to use a fake background, you got to be able to fit them um, in that fake background entirely for whatever they're going to do. Now, if you're going to do just a headshot, then 10 by 10 is a really good size and, and will work out really well. Or a couple of kids, you know, putting them on the floor, playing with toys while you're taking the photos. It can look awesome. You just got to have that background away from enough that you can blur it out. And the other thing that dead giveaway, <laughs> because there's not the depth there, you absolutely cannot have their shadows on that background. <laughs> that that for sure gives it away that this is not real. Even if it's blurred out, if there's a shadow that's on that background, it doesn't fall the way a shadow would if that background was real. And we, our brains will immediately pick it out. It won't even be half a second. And we're like, oh, why are you yep. in front of that fake background? So you can't have the shadows end up on the background. You got to pay attention to that. It has to be blurred out and you can't have shadows. So again, moving them away from it. Also having the lights be a little bit more overhead pointed downward instead of back towards the backdrop can help with that positioning the lights. Um, so you have to play around with that until you've got stuff set up so that you don't cast a shadow on the background. But that's that's what I would do. Um, and then as far as like getting the dreamy kind of look, 
Uh, you totally can do that without compositing too. For of, of, of course, you can do that. Um, but again, it's it's going to be having the people like uh, you're going to need flash because you're going to want the the dark environment for the rest for the scene for the background, and then the flash trying to get that to only light your subject, which is kind of how it works anyway. That's what you need to do as you get flash going, and then and balancing it. How much power on the flash do I need so that they look bright enough, but the background still looks light enough, and I don't have shadows being cast in a strange way, and it, it definitely takes some some working through it and experience um you know i wouldn't want to do this with a client if if you want to learn how to do this uh either your own family or you know put yourself in the photo with the timer on the camera and it it takes a long time because i've done this but uh getting experience with it and and learning how to to do that is really good those modifiers can are super important being able to get a, a soft box in there so that you can get that that light really really close to the models and it won't affect the background it won't cast light onto the uh the christmas tree and the fireplace and the other stuff in the background is is super important to be able to make all that work so it takes a lot of practice and uh and it's so much fun i love being able to do it um so there's my advice on on how to make that happen <laughs> all right let's go to category number four here white balance and we have uh Barbara Butler Conrad said tips for photographing indoors in general. She says, my photos always seem to be a bit yellow. It's embarrassing when a relative captures a better photo with their iPhone. Ooh, yes. No kidding. (laughs) That's not good. Uh, Katie Nakamaya McCartney said shooting indoors with mixed lighting. There's window light and overhead light and lamps and kitchen light and Christmas lights and uh, getting rid of all the distractions in the space. How do you deal with that lighting? And then the last one was how uh, Randy Gamar says how best to take the family photo outside with snow. And I, I grouped all of these under white balance because I, I think those all have the same kind of theme about how do I make it so that it looks good with all this different lighting conditions. So Brent, what, what advice do you have for people in getting the white balance nailed as they do these photos? Yeah, the the one with the snow outside, you know, that's really about also balancing the exposure with right. the people and the snow and the like. And if you have a flash, maybe you can fill in that face, uh, something along those lines. So you can test your exposure and try not to blow out the snow. When we're doing the indoors with mixed lighting, that's probably the most challenging one because, you know, as she says, with the window light, overhead light, which she says in parentheses needs to be turned off, I learned – uh, if you don't have the opportunity to turn that off, though, that can still be problematic. And it's all about oh, striking a balance, I guess, is the best way. What is important in the scene? And it probably comes through in post-production the most where you have that slider where you can adjust the white balance. You can adjust the exposure a little bit, but mostly it's going to be a white balance. And what's important to you as far as where the emphasis is and what lighting you're going to give preference to. Because if you... That's really what it's going to be. What lighting do you give preference to and what are you going to allow to go sick? Of course, you can then isolate that area that's gone sick and then bring it back in post-production, whether it's using an adjustment brush in Lightroom or doing something in Photoshop. You can always bring that back. Um, as far as the first one with relatives capturing better photos on their <laughs> iPhone, that is definitely a pure idea about 
the whole white balance situation and looking at the settings on your camera. If you're shooting in JPEG, there's lots of settings on your camera you can do to affect that color quality. If you're shooting in raw, then it's all about your post-production and, and working that through. Right. Yeah. So, um, it's tough because iPhones are getting good. They're getting really good mm-hmm. at taking photos. They really and, are. And, uh, you know, it's it's a challenge figuring out how do I convince clients that they need me to use my big camera when they can take a pretty decent shot with their iPhone these days and, and have a really good result. So I hear you, uh, Barbara, on that one. That's, that is tough. Um, okay, so Brent, where do you stand on white balance cards, using a card in the photo yeah. to help you with your white balance? If it's really challenging, like the middle one by Katie, yeah, that's where I would want to – if I don't have a card, I'll want to find something that is in neutral color and shoot that in that lighting so I can at least have a starting point. But I do have a white balance, uh, a little gray card type thing, and I'm all about using that for the first shot or two uh, just as we change up the lighting situation and the like because it at least gives us a starting point. Initially, I would definitely not want to say that is going to be your best because it's still not considering the art, quote unquote, of the image and how and the aesthetics of the image. But it is a great tool to have as a starting point for sure. Yeah. And, and when you use it, if you do decide you want to use a card and, and this might be one of those situations where that will be good. If you're going to go to a client's house for doing a holiday photo uh, the chances are really, really good. You're going to have a ton of mixed lighting to deal with, and it's going to be challenging in post, even though it's like white balance is one of those things that you really have a ton of control over when you change in post. You you can totally fix almost any white balance problem in post, especially if it's a raw file. There's There's so much room to deal with that. But figuring out what to do with it, because you have two different sliders in Lightroom to, to do this, is hard, um, especially at first when you when you don't have a ton of experience. When you can't look at a photo and be like, okay, slightly green, I'm going to move this slider, slightly yellow, and and work on it. So that's it's a challenge, and that might be this might be an exactly a situation where I would want to shoot one of those gray cards or white balance cards and just make sure when you do it that you have the person hold the card and hold it parallel to the camera um, because that's going to help you get the skin tones right. The the skin is also going to be parallel to the camera with all the light falling on it and you need to repli- have that gray card be in the same position as what the skin is going to be. That's what we want. We want the skin to be white balanced. We don't care as much about the whole rest of the scene. It's the skin and the people need to look right. They don't need that. We don't want them looking green or yellow or pink. We need them to look right. So um, having them hold it like just one shot, having them hold that white balance card like right below their chin and or, you know, and not like so that the shadows on their on their chin either like on the card, but out in front of them just slightly trying to make it parallel with their face and take the photo so that you have that as a reference point in Lightroom and be able can can pull the white balance using the eyedropper on that card is really good. There is a way to make it so that your camera uses the, that information and sets the white balance um, based on the card that's there. But I, I find that's not really worth the time to do that. You usually have to dig through menus to figure out what to do. And it's, it's so easy to change it in post. It's not a big deal to just 
take the one shot really fast. Just, hey, will you hold this right here? Hold it exactly where it is, you know, position their hands so that it's exactly where you want and say, don't move. I just got to take one shot and then we'll, I'll, I'll have the white balance. And then you take the shot really fast and just move on and, and go. And then in post, you, you pull the white balance from that one photo and you can apply it to all of them. And it works really well. I'd also recommend, and it, I, there's various opinions on this too. I recommend in this situation, don't use auto white balance. And that's just because then it makes it easier to copy the white balance from one photo and paste it to all the rest and have it work. Where if you use auto white balance and you copy it from one and paste it, it may not work on some of those photos that you paste it on. And they might look different. The camera might have changed things and that, that can be tough to have it work right. So I recommend no auto white balance in this specific situation. It works really well. All white balance can work really well outdoors. The lighting doesn't tend to change much. So you, you end up having the same lighting uh, a lot. But in this situation, uh, depending on the, what you're composing in the room and so on, I don't recommend auto white balance with this. Uh, what do you think, Brent? Auto white balance? If you're comfortable with post-production, definitely I say don't do the auto white balance because it just makes things consistent and you can be more uh, predictable, I guess you can say with your results. If you're not comfortable with it, then you know that's what you're going to do because you have to have the camera make that decision for you then. Yeah. I like to take control of the camera. Okay. And one last thing real <laughs> quick here is outside with snow and exposure, like, like Brent said, that's, that's a tough thing. And this might be helpful even for the very mixed lighting situation. Um, I use spot metering on this so that Definitely. I for, for doing the exposure because um, again, the skin is what we care about. The skin is what we want to have the be properly exposed. And even if some of that snow gets blown out, it's going to be okay. That's not the, that's not why you're taking the picture. You're taking the picture for the people. And if some of that snow goes to total white, it's, it's all right to lose some of that detail. Uh, hopefully you could, in post change the exposure like you know use an adjustment brush perhaps in lightroom and lower the exposure on the snow a little bit or try to deal with the highlights and, and bring back some of the detail it doesn't get totally like blown out in your raw file but uh even if it does that is definitely preferable to losing or having not enough information in the photo or, or bring having to raise the exposure so much you're getting noise with the skin on the the models or the the people you're taking the picture of so spot metering using that to meter for the skin and figure out like if you're going to be outside there's probably a lot of light that snow is probably reflecting a bunch of light and you need a meter on the skin to figure out what your exposure should be the camera has almost no chance <laughs> there's so much white and bright light around it it's going to underexpose your photo if you let the camera use anything else but spot metering really and one other tip with that is with Canon cameras, it does not matter where your focus point is. Spot metering always goes from the center. You cannot change it. So you uh, you have to remember that if your comp- if your composition doesn't have the people in the center and the skin in the center, you have to temp- at least for the purposes of getting your exposure settings, put the center on that skin. Um, and then to, to do your metering because it does not follow the focus point. There's other cameras where the focus point will get followed for the metering, but not on Canon's. Okay. Number five, cheap 
families is what I categorize this one. Brenna Miller said, dealing with the financial part of a family session, I keep getting clients trying to add their extended family in their sessions. I resorted to charging a regular family session plus 50% off additional family sessions for each extended family. And I have had this happen a lot. <laughs> I've had this a whole bunch. Uh, they did usually tell me like, hey, I want to get a big group photo. But it inevitably then is like, okay, now can we take into each family that is here for the big group photo? Can we take just their family? And then can we take just mom and dad of each family? And can we take just the kids of each family? <laughs> and, um, you know, it, sometimes we didn't discuss that ahead of time. And I learned to after the first couple of times of having that happen because it, it, happen almost every single time. And and I get it. They think like, oh, well, I just we have 2 hours here. You know, we or we scheduled an hour long shoot as long as we hurry and we keep we do these uh other shots before that hour is up, then then that's good. I I I got your services for an hour. Let's do it. And uh, but but all that post processing work and posing work and all that is is a lot extra. So yeah, I'm I'm really upfront as I work with clients. And when they say it's going to be a big group and we're going to have you know 30 people there, immediately I I know okay that means they're going to want to take individual families. And so then I ask the question right as I'm talking with them. Okay, do you want to take individual families too besides the big group? And oh yeah, for sure. Then say, okay, then here's the price for that. And yeah. as long as you say it right up front in the first exchanges and you get going, then they have the expectation set. They know that it's gonna there's gonna be a fee for that. You need to understand what pricing you are gonna charge for that and think through it so that you you know what your time is worth and and uh, charging for it and have the discussion as long as that's and, and if they say well that's too much you can say then I'm happy to do group, the group photo but that's what I charge for to to do individual families after the big group photo and uh, and then they know they know what it is so it's all about expectations and setting that and uh, and I but I totally get it I've had that happen a lot where I showed up like I said the big group and then they they start breaking out in families to take photos and like wait I didn't sign up for this <laughs> so that's how I would deal with it anything else on that one Brent no I think you covered it perfectly okay no the last category here this is from Janet Schill she said how do you get your own family to take the family portrait session serious and man, I get this, Jen. <laughs> that is that is a, a really good thing uh, because I bring my camera so often and want to want to. Maybe it's because I just like experimenting. And I want to I want to keep learning and and know how to do it better. Um, but yeah, a lot of my family is tired of it now. They're like, oh no, he brought the camera again. So it's kind of the opposite of that first problem where, uh, where David was asking about how do you get out of taking the photos? My family wants to get out of taking the photos. They are, are really tired of it. So, um, so that can be a challenge. Or if you're, uh, we talked about last episode two holiday events, people have this like, I just want to relax. I just want to come and we want to have food. We want to have, we want to watch the football. We want whatever uh, events, things you have uh, in your holiday parties, maybe you're playing board games, whatever it is, they just want to relax. They don't want to have to worry about taking a photo. So uh, Janet, again, we talked about it last episode. We talked about it a lot in this, but setting expectations, just letting everyone know like, Hey, I really, really, it's important to me as part of this holiday party, this get together that we're doing. It's important to me that we get a photo. Will everyone please, please participate and 
have a good attitude. I'll make it as fast as I can. As long as everyone cooperates, it won't take that long. But I just want to make it, I, I really want to create a family photo. And, uh, you know, you'll still have people who are grumpy. <laughs> There'll still be people who are grumpy about it, but they'll probably do it. If you know ahead of time, they'll probably do it. Or they may be grumpy enough about it, like, no, I just don't want to do this. And you'll have to kind of work through that and evaluate what you're going to do. What do you think, Brent? Any, anything else you'd advise there? That is almost exactly what I tell my sons, and that is the sooner you cooperate, the sooner we can right. move on with life. Right. And trying to say it in nice, lovingly fashion, you know, to, to encourage them rather than just be like, rah, 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 you know, we don't want to come off ac- across as an ogre or something like that. But it's seriously, you know, it's that usually works actually for my teenager, especially it's just like, all right, you know, get the eyes rolled and yep. now let's, let's go ahead and get into it. And let's satisfy mom and dad's request for a, a halfway decent pose, et cetera. And then we can move on with life. And usually that works. Um, but also it's about, for us, when we do it, it's a, it's a trip to go up to the studio to make this happen. So it's kind of a whole ordeal. It's not just something I set up at the house. So there's a certain seriousness by changing the venue as well. So if you have the opportunity to change the venue, that also makes them feel more serious about this, I guess. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Let's go to our doodads of the week. I'm going to start off here and I'm going to recommend something I've recommended in the past, but I've had more time with it now. I actually own one and um, it's awesome. This is the Sat Pack. And, you know, during the holiday season here, especially if you're doing landscape um, in the U.S., with it being colder, there can be some more dangerous conditions. You could have like a car problem. And if you're out in the middle of nowhere trying to get photos and you have a car problem and it's really cold, that could get dangerous fast. And so this is a a device I can highly recommend now. It's really, really good. I've used it many times. It works super well. And I love the pricing model. So this is the SATPAQ, S-A-T-P-A-Q. I'll have a link in the show notes too. Um, They're not a sponsor. I'm not affiliated with them. I don't get anything from it if you buy them. Uh, I just, I care about the safety of of the listeners out there. And this is a safety tool that can be really helpful. It's $250 for the device. And what it is, is you, you attach it to your cell phone. And now you can use satellite to send text messages. So it's not data. You're not going to be pulling up maps or, uh, you know, you're not doing FaceTime. You're not doing any of those things that require data on your phone. You're doing SMS messages and it uses the satellite connection to do that. The, the best part about it, though, is the 250 is for the device. That's one time you pay that for the device. And then it's, you can buy message packs, the cheapest or, well, the, yeah, I guess the least expensive, but um, most expensive per message because it's a small quantity. It's $55 for 150 messages. So that's 37 cents a message. And then you can buy more quantity. Of course, it's a little more money for the more quantity, but that's cheaper per message to buy more if you're going to use it a lot. But that's the most beautiful part about this is there's no subscription here. You don't have to pay a monthly fee and not use it. Like if it sits on the shelf for six months and you don't need ever to use it, and then you go out on a shoot, you are a little worried that you're going to be out of contact, out of cell phone service, and you just want this as a, you know, emergency backup kind of messaging thing. You can totally just use it right in that moment. You didn't for six months, and now I'm going to use it. And I, I have 
you know, certain number of messages paid for ahead of time and I send my message and, and I can get help and it, it sends your location too. with every message that you send out, it sends your GPS coordinates of where you're at. So you don't have to try to like figure out where you're at or if your phone's battery is getting low, it doesn't take a ton of battery. It's, it's just a beautiful device. I love it. And, um, this is definitely going to be on my holiday gift guide this year. I'm, I think I'm going to try to publish a holiday gift guide on phototacopodcast.com. And this will be on there as a, for, for the landscape photographer, this is a must have tool. I think we'll probably share this in our respective gift guides. Cause this, this is definitely something that's interests me as well. I, I love that device. I don't have one, but I love the, the thoughts behind it. So that's really cool. My doodad is a hiking guidebook, and specifically the one I'm linking here is just for Death Valley because I'm potentially going to go down there this coming spring. But just any type of hiking guidebook to, you know, maybe inspire you, get you some ideas for where you might want to go. And uh, as as we start making plans for the next year and the like, that's what I'm thinking of. So uh, that's that's what I got for my doodad, hiking guidebook. All right. There'll be a link in the show notes to that. We want to remind everyone you can get to our show notes at masterphotographypodcast.com. We have everything there, all the links that we've talked about in every show or documented there. You can find me at jsharmanphotos.com for my work where my other podcast, phototacopodcast.com, where I have lots of technical discussions on how to set up photography. I talked about how I like to get the technical details. That's what I focus on during my shoots. And I share my tips, the things that I learn and uh, the, the things that have helped me so that I get the technical aspects taken care of are shared over at phototacopodcast.com. So go check that out. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all there in the show notes. Brent, where can people find you? So I have made a few changes and my main website now is latitudephotographyschool.com. It is a new service that I'm bringing up and working on and people can sign up for being notified when it's finally available, which will be in the first quarter of 2020. And I will bring back my website under my name that will just be a gallery of my images and a few other things like that uh, in the time in this time frame as well. But for now, everything is over at latitudephotographyschool.com and if if you were to type my name, brentbergham.com, it will just forward you there to Latitude Photography School. And then, of course, my own podcast that focuses on the interests of folks uh, in the travel photography genre, Latitude Photography Podcast. And you can find me at Instagram. That's where we use my name, Brent Bergham, and then Brent Bergham Photography on YouTube. Excellent. All right. Hope those tips were helpful. And again, if you'd like to contribute, go over to the Facebook group. And uh, we'd love to have you tell us like any tips that we missed, any things that you found helpful and, uh, and share, help us out with that. It'd be wonderful. We thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you again in another seven days. 